Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 105 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff. I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. And man, we just came off a week unlike any other week. We just did like a week of episodes. That's right. So if you're a subscriber in your inbox, you got a little daily dose. We did last Tuesday's episode, which was awesome with Casey Graham. And then for the last six days, I've been doing some bonus Ask Carrie podcast because you've got questions and we kind of bank them up. And then every once in a while, uh, we go at them and I give it my best shot at answering your leadership questions. So if you're not a subscriber, do, do yourself a favor, hit the subscribe button and go back and listen to the last six days because the questions that you're struggling with, I promise you, other people are struggling with as well. So we tackled a whole bunch of them, everything from uh, what's your advice to young millennial leaders to uh, what do I do? I'm just taking over the church. Hey, I got a boss who doesn't listen to like, what do you do with a registered sex offender when they want to attend your church? I mean, highly practical. We had questions about uh, my spouse isn't on board. Can I still do ministry? I mean, we covered dozens and dozens of subjects. So anyway, uh, thank you so much. That was our way of saying thank you uh, for the second anniversary of the podcast. That's right. We're celebrating two years of this. Uh, just because of you, because you guys have been so awesome. And the goal in all of it is to help you lead like never before. So we're going to do that today because our guest, I just think, is an incredible leader. I have admired him from afar for many, many years. His name is Dan Ryland. And he's kind of the guy who just may, in this generation, have invented the executive pastor role. That's right. He was with John Maxwell uh, before John Maxwell started the John Maxwell Company at Skyline Church. And well, he's going to tell you the story of how he actually became an executive pastor and how they came up with the term and what worked and what didn't and how he and John Maxwell figured it out. And this is a guy who has worked with John for over 30 years and has just a wealth of wisdom of his own and a wealth of John's wisdom. So, I mean, my head spins a lot after some of the conversations we have that we bring to you on the podcast, but it spun for days after talking to Dan Ryland. I mean, Dan is just the most gracious guy, one of the most humble people, and he runs every single day, and he's over 60. It's crazy, crazy. So school's me, I'll tell you that. So you're going to love the interview with Dan today. I promise you, I certainly did. And maybe you're listening to this while you're running or on your bike or on the commute or otherwise unable to take your own notes. Hey, we did it for you. We've got show notes. If you just go to kerryneuhoff.com, my blog, slash episode 105, You'll find some good notes there, as well as some things you can share on social media and links back to everything Dan and I talk about. So that's kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 105. Really want to thank today's sponsor. Our partner today on the podcast is Enjoy Stewardship Solutions. And I want you to imagine just a moment. Imagine if your church had money to match its vision. Like, could you imagine? And listen, I lived for years. I mean, the budget of the first church I served, honestly, of the three little churches 21 years ago, one of them had an annual budget, I'm not making this up, of $4,000 for the entire year. I mean, it almost, when I say that, I'm like, that didn't happen. No, it actually happened. 
And I mean, the church is one of the most poorly funded organizations sometimes in the world, but it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, I personally have worked with Enjoy Stewardship with Joe Sangal, Brian Dodd, and their team over there. They've been incredible and they've helped us move. Well, we didn't know them when we had those humble beginnings, but now, you know, we have money for ministry and it's incredible what you can do when you actually fund a vision to reach unchurched people. So I want to encourage you to head on over to enjoystewardship.com. That's just I-N-J-O-Y, stewardship.com, and check out some of the free resources they have. In fact, they've even got five sermons you can download for free on how to double your giving. Yeah, it's incredible. So anyway, we partnered with them. Uh, We've seen a great increase in giving as a result. And it's not just something you want from your church. You know what? It's something you want for people too, because I think you'll agree with me that when people live generously, they live better. And when the kingdom of God is funded, it just goes better. So anyway, check it out today. Enjoystewardship.com. And in the meantime, here is my conversation with a guy who these days is hanging out and doing an unbelievable job at 12 Stone Church. Dan Ryland. Well, Dan, this is so long overdue. Welcome to the podcast. It's such a joy and a privilege to have you. Thanks, Gary. I've, I've been looking forward to this ever since we met officially uh, at the conference a few months ago. So this is awesome. Yeah, you and I met at Rethink Leadership back in April. That's right. That's right. But we had followed each other online for ages, right? Years and years and years. Been reading your stuff, following, heard great things about you, and so, and, and I think I didn't know if they ever let you out of Canada or not. So <laughs> apparently, they let you out. They yeah. try not to let me into your country, but sometimes <laughs> I, I get in anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're glad. We're glad. Well, good. Yeah, that was great. The first rethink leadership was at Twelve Stone, where you're currently the executive pastor. Is that your official title, executive pastor? Yeah. Uh, well, sometimes it's it's kind of a blend and blur, uh, executive pastor, chief of staff. But yeah, XP is good. XP. That sounds good. So, and worked for two decades with John Maxwell, right? Correct. Wow. John. Yeah. That's crazy. Both at Skyline Church and then uh, at Enjoy as well. At Enjoy, yeah, and then and then now uh, with uh, at um, Twelve Stone here for fifteen years this fall, and John and I remain very close. He's like my older brother. Uh, wow. we, we text and talk, and he's up here pretty frequently, so we're very connected. Um, a lot of love there. A lot of years we've been we've been connected and friends now for let me think thirty thirty five years. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. You know, and it's funny. I I mean, we were comparing ages before, so we got a few years between us. But I was thinking about that, like, just, you know, the longer you live and the longer the relationships endure, the better they get. They really do. They they just get richer and richer. Deeper and richer. And yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you just want to be around people that you've known forever and you can just be yourself, right? Absolutely. That's great. So I'm going to go out on a limb here, Dan, and say... You know, were you like when when I think of executive pastor, there's one name and it's yours. And uh, <laughs> did you like pioneer that back in in what at Skyline Church? Was that in the eighties? It was. It was in the early eighties, and and uh, or as some of my young staff call it. Is that was that? Hey, Dana, was that was that like the Jurassic era? <laughs> and so <laughs> you know, and I think we did, uh, um, Carrie, because. We didn't know what we were doing, and and we had to invent the job description, and we didn't know what it was. And so, for the first year, I mean, I was I worked with him for six about six years before I was XP, but when we were trying to figure out the job, we literally didn't know what to do. 
and for the first year faltered with it. And uh, so then we were, I said, John, this isn't going to work. This, I don't, you don't know what it, what it does. I don't know what it does. So let, I, here's a new idea. Let's figure out what your job is. Let's write your job down and I'll take everything else. And so we did that. We wrote down his job, figured out his job, and I took everything else and it worked for it worked for the distance and I've been doing that ever since. That is so cool. So you and John were figuring this out. Okay, here we are off script already. I love it, Dan. Um, <laughs> so take us back to those early days of Skyline Church. Where, did you start around the same time, you and John Maxwell? Yeah. Or did you he, come up, did he 80, hire you? He did. He came in 81. I came in 82. Okay. One of my claims to fame is I, I broke the internship. <laughs> <laughs> you broke it? What, you were the last intern? I broke it. I, I came. He came in 81. I came in 82. There was a long season and tenure of interns who, uh-huh. who came out from under all the butcher's ministry. And, and I, I came as his first intern, and I was his last intern. And when I finished my year, I was going to go on to be a senior pastor somewhere. He said, "We are never doing this again. We're not. We don't want it. We're not needing more interns." So, I, so I, I, apparently, I broke the internship. What did you do? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I did. But he, he's, he never had another intern. Now, to redeem myself a tiny bit, right, right. Um, he asked me to stay on staff. Okay, that's and that good. was the start of twenty more years. That's so, a good sign when John yeah. Maxwell wants you to stay on staff. So, how big was the church when you started? Was it like a couple hundred people or? Oh, no, no. It was it was closer to a thousand, almost a thousand. Okay. So it was almost a thousand. So you came on and you started tinkering with this. So I know there's a lot of people, like it used to be even 10 years ago, I think you had to be a church of a thousand to have an executive pastor. Now I meet church leaders, Dan, as I'm sure you do. They're in a church of 150 and they have an executive pastor, 200. So yeah. I've, I've, yeah. I've seen that. What were you and John thinking? Like, what was John great at? And what did you end up going, I'm going to pick that up? Like, how, how did you guys figure that out? Yeah, how did I decide to, to become the XP kind of a thing? Mm-hmm. You know, part of it was his travels. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, he has a, a large ministry and, and a, you know, all the things he did. So part of, part of it was birthed out of need for mm-hmm. someone to stay in the day-to-day um, and, and I don't know exactly how it, I don't, sometimes I don't know if I strategically fell into it or organically grew into it, Right. <laughs> but, but I just did about every ministry possible until one day he said, why don't you just take over? Why don't you, why don't you leave the staff and lead the ministries? And, and so I, I, di- I just did. And the partnership was so blended. We thought so much alike today. I, I would say it differently than I did back then as a young guy. Today, I would say for me, you know, why XP? Why did this, you know, why the whole XP thing? For me, it's it's about uh, stewardship. Mm. Um, and um, like you, you know, many, you know, sometimes we get diff- different offers and possibilities and things. And my my good mentors, John, my wife, Patty, and those who speak into my life said, you said, you know what, Dan, you could be a very good uh, senior pastor, mm. but you were, you were born to be an executive pastor. And so... The simple church math was really more like this, and I'm going to make up numbers. You can plug in any numbers you I want. I make these up are, numbers all the yeah, time. These are these are <laughs> these are made up numbers. Sure. I could be the senior pastor of a church of a thousand, right? Or the executive pastor in a church of ten thousand or twenty thousand. So for me, it's just stewardship. Right? How can I have the greatest kingdom impact? And did you find that you and John had what I would call complementary gifts rather than competing gifts? In other words, the things that he more naturally gravitated to and was stronger in, 
you sort of offset that with other things that he was weaker in and vice versa? Yeah, exactly. Okay. That is exactly what happened. Yep. Right. Because I can see it not working out if like you both want to teach and you both want to lead. Then you end up with a competition, not a compliment. Right, right. Okay. And, and there, is a, there is a sense of both of us. I mean, clearly the communication and all was, that's, that's clear. But we both led. But, we, but it was the way we sort of thought about our leadership is he led the congregation and I led the staff. Gotcha. And, and so that was sort of our, the way we understood our, our areas, yeah. Were there tension points as you guys figured that out? You said it was, took you a while to figure it out, but like when you, when you ran into friction points to the extent that you're comfortable talking about it, like what were some of the friction points and then what were some of the, the, the best parts of that partnership with XP and Senior Pastor? Yeah, well, the, the, um, uh, the, the friction points, let me think here. Um, I, think that, I think one of the friction points is because I, because I was on staff five, six years, as one of the guys, mm-hmm. um, uh, transitioning from one of the guys to the guy who's leading all of them, kind of, you know, the, the new, uh, a new sheriff's in town, so to speak. That was a difficult transition because when you think about John's personality and the, we call it the Maxwell, you know, Maxwell morphine. I mean, you just, people just want to be around him, you, you know, <laughs> Maxwell morphine. Just, yeah. I mean, just give me another hit. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. <laughs> And, and we used to tease him. I said, "John, people who don't even like you like you." I mean, you know, <laughs> you know. I, I remember going into a, to, to one guy's office one day. His name was Jim, and and uh, he was in this extraordinary mood, almost euphoric. I said, well, "What's up?" He said, "Well, John was just here." And I said, "Well, w- what did he say?" He said, "I don't know." And it, well, what did he teach you? I don't know. Or what did he help you with? I don't know. And so, what are you so happy about? He says. He was just here, you know, <laughs> and so, and, 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 but so, you know, when you transfer from that to a guy like me, who's, you know, warm relational, but more strategic and all that kind of, that, that's a big thing. So I'll tell you, we actually figured out a plan that I've passed on to hundreds and hundreds of executive pastors around the country and it's worked. And we said, you know, here's three gates and a never do. Three gates and a never do this. Okay. You know, and there's three gates to the senior pastor. One is like, hey, I just want to talk with the pastor. I just want to talk with my pastor about spiritual things. Great. Call him and go go talk. Two, um, hey, I haven't had a burger with my with my pastor for, for ages. Great. Call his, call his secretary and go have a burger. Three, I'd love to just talk ministry ideas with, with the pastor. Great. You know, and so when you have that big of a, those three huge gates, number one, people start to relax Mm. about their access to the pastor. And so when they relax and they see they have that much freedom, they don't clamor for it as much. And then, so you got those three gates, then the one thing you never, ever, ever do. And John, he never, ever broke this Mm. once we agreed. uh, but the one thing you can never do is make a ministry decision with the pastor. You just can't do that. He would always say, go see Dan, go see Dan, go see Dan. Because I knew 500 little things that he didn't know. Yes. And, and people would, he is such a motivator. People would walk, and Kevin, Moore, Kevin Myers too, they could just walk down the hallway and say, hey, John, what do you think about this? Hey, Kevin, what do you think about this? And they go, cool idea. Well, they're empowered in their minds. Yes. 
and 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 uh, but but neither Kevin nor John meant do it. <laughs> so how do you? Okay, this I got to ask about the three gates because I mean it was a large church, right? That you were uh, ministering. So could anybody just go, hey, John, we're having burgers? Like how did how did that work, or how was that gated, or was it just open access to John at that point? It wasn't. It wasn't really. Well, it was kind of open access, but I mean, the way they did it, they would just call Barbara and mm-hmm. say, hey, Barbara, let me, I haven't had a burger with John for four or five months or whatever. Can I get on the calendar? She said, sure. Wow. And, 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 uh, and he would find time and, and figure it out. And, or maybe, <laughs> or sometimes it was just right across the street was yum, yum donuts. Yeah. And so they just go across the street, have a Diet Coke and a yum, yum donut and hang out for 20 minutes. And because John didn't have a lot of time. Right. But but that's all they that's all that was needed. Okay, that's interesting. Now you're going to have like tens of thousands of leaders who now want donuts with John Maxwell. <laughs> that's, that's okay. We won't that's give it. him the private email at this point. They can't right? have the private email. No. Yeah. All right. That was that was from the 80s. Okay. There we go. That's, that's fascinating. It. All right. So you're pioneering, which is a lot of fun, and then you went on to work with John at Enjoy, right? And what do you do for him there? Really three things. I I uh Taught and I traveled the country and taught in seminars and conferences and workshops and and then second I did a lot of writing of materials with him for him you know remember the old products and the cassette tapes and all that I, stuff I was, you know what I was going to make a cassette tape joke when you mentioned the eighties it's like didn't John have a cassette ministry oh my gosh we made more cassette you can't even believe how many cassettes we made <laughs> I um, almost remember we, that Dan those remember those forty pound kits man oh yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I published about, I think it was 22 of those. <laughs> and, and I know. And, and now the staff, you'll love this. The staff loves to find them in garage sales for 50 cents. Right. They bring them back and they just taunt me with them. And it, I mean, it's so much fun. Who can find one, you know, somewhere? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we did. We published a lot of materials and back in the day. And uh, so we did that. And then third, I just did my best to help him and, and uh, serve him and see if I could help him rise and reach more people. Well, here you are in the ultimate, for now, successor of the cassette ministry. It's called podcasting. <laughs> so yeah, except there's yeah. no cassette. And it's, no cassette. it's free as well. So go figure that. You used to have to buy stuff. Imagine that. Hey? All right. So you spent 20 years and still a lifelong friend. One of your dearest friends is John Maxwell. So I'm going to ask you, you got a heads up on this. John Maxwell, somebody asked me the other day, you know, what is leadership? What's your definition? Where do I go to John Maxwell's definition? Leadership is influence. I mean, I think that's so good. What are the top five learnings after most of a lifetime with John Maxwell that you would say you've received in all your time working with John, your top five learnings? Yeah. And I, I, thanks for the heads up on that. You know, I, I'm going to have to steal one. You just said leadership is influence, mm. but I can personalize that because I, when he when we met, he would say, and it's true. I had a bit of an academic bent to me. Okay, yeah, and uh, and and so he he would finally say, you know, Dan, we can knock that out of you pretty quick. Well, I'll I'll, I'll fix that, you know, and <laughs> and he did. But yeah. so so understanding that leadership is influence. And of course, we could talk about these things for an hour and a half, but I'll just kind of rattle them off, and we want to. I might even tell a story on number five. You if can you do want. whatever you want, man. All right. So uh, another one would be, Carrie, is uh, leaders are agents of change. Okay, let's go back to leadership as influence. Why did yeah. you pick that as one of the top five? Like, just, just elucidate a little more. Is that yeah, well, a be, long gate? I don't know. 
<laughs> either one. Yeah, I, I think because it, it, for me and maybe for others, it's just too easy to try to make it mechanical or about a title or about an org chart or about uh, a function. And it's, it, leadership is just way more relational and way more organic and way more intuitive. It's more art than science. And um, hmm. uh, it, it's, it's just not, it's not stratified. Yeah. And so that the notion of, of influence was just back in 1982 was just a new thought to me. Hmm. And you know, I've uh, maybe I ripped this off of John. I don't. I don't remember. But you know, it's sort of like people ask me, "How do I know I'm a leader?" Well, you look over your shoulder and you see if anyone is following. Exactly. Is it that kind of idea. That's you either exactly. have influence or you don't. Now you can build it or you can lose it. But like influence is like, is there anybody following? Is there anyone reading? Is there anyone listening? Because if there is, then you got influence. Is that sort of the big idea? That's the big idea. And actually, yeah. what I what I teach now is is uh, that in addition to that that your influence is always either increasing or de decreasing. Mm. It is never, ever staying the same. It's never, ever neutral. But uh, uh, in the local church, it can feel like it's staying neutral because we're so relational yes. in nature. But, but, but it's always increasing or decreasing. And the good news is it's very easy to know which, one is, which one's taking place. How? how? Okay, I'm curious. How? Well, well, if it's increasing, people are... People are, are saying yes more often. Your responsibilities are increasing. You have more followers, as, as you mentioned. Uh, people respond more quickly. Uh, when you ask, that it, uh, the, the momentum is coming your way, and, and the reverse is true when it's decreasing. Uh, people say no more often. The responsibilities begin to be taken away from you. It's just it, uh, uh, when... when uh, uh, when it's increasing, more people ask you questions, all, you know, those kinds of things. That's so true. You're, you're so right. That crystallized so much in my mind. That's exactly a good test. Some leaders are getting kind of happy right now and some are going, uh-oh. But that's a really good influence, really, really <laughs> well, good the, insight. For, for the ones that are going, uh-oh, um, you can turn it. But the, the, the thing that I always say, pay attention to is in the local church, it can feel like it's a neutral because the local church can move slowly because it's relational. Uh, but, it's, but it's not moving slowly. It's either going forward or declining, always. Wow. Good to know. Hey, before we get to number two, I just got to say, we we're going to talk about this at the end because we always do. But in case you're new to Dan, he's got an unbelievable blog. Like you're already like, of course, we have show notes, but you're like, where do I get more of this stuff? DanRyland.com, right? That'll do it. That's it. That's it. DanRyland.com. R-E-I-L-A-N-D. And it is a treasure trove of leadership gold. And you should go subscribe to his blog. You should read everything he writes. You, you will get stuff like this, but we're going to enjoy the rest of our time together. So I interrupt our list to bring you that. That's where you can find more. So let's go to number two. I think what the second one would be for me, leaders are agents of change. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason, the reason I would pick that one, because we could pick a hundred of you. Think about, yeah, all yeah. Those, think about all those cassette tapes. I mean, there's like <laughs> 500 of them at least. The and Enjoy the Life Cup. With all the lists. And yeah. all the books. That's right. So, but, but so personalizing, trying to pick, pick, pick five. You know, I, I think, again, that the local church can be a place where nothing changes. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, uh, you know, the old, this is way, way, way back, you know, you, you just preach and visit. But so for me, I have a deep passion to see, uh, to see progress. Hmm. I mean, I, I, I just 
progress is my my mantra. And so for kingdom good, obviously. And that just can't happen without change. It just can't. Yeah, it just yeah. can't. So yeah. leaders are change agents. That's yeah. great. All right, third. Again, personal uh, encouragement is 51% of leadership. <sighs> I so believe that. Mm. I just absolutely believe that. And it sounds simple, but when I put a different definition to, to, to encouragement, I rise, you know, if you raise the bar on defining encur- encouragement, not all leaders are encouragers. So mm-hmm. uh, I think sometimes we tend to think of encouragement as something soft and let's just hang out at Starbucks for you know an hour and a half. And But, but a, a leader who's an encourager, I'll just throw it out here if we have a second, but yeah. it, my, the way I would define encouragement is this way. If you're in a if you're in a public place, whether you're the lobby of your church or Kmart or whatever, uh, uh, if you're in a public environment, if you're an encourager, uh, people will be literally physically drawn towards you. They will literally see you across the hallway and move towards you, like without you saying and, a word. Or, or are you assuming they know you? Or are you saying like strangers will gravitate? Oh no no. No, if they, if they, if you're in your local church and oh, gotcha, they know gotcha. you, okay, yeah, yeah, and they know you, so there's knowledge. Yeah. They will flock to you. They, they will, well, I won't use the word flock, but they will move towards you because the flock thing is more about personality. Right. If there's, if you're more of a quiet guy, maybe it's your gal, maybe there's two or three that are going to walk your way and seek you out. If you're a bigger personality, maybe there's 22, I don't know, but whatever. But, but um, people will literally migrate to you. It's kind of like when you think of your, think of the people who motivate you. There's people in your life when you think about them you just smile. You just yeah, want to be around them. Yep. And there's people you see when you're in Kmart and you hide behind aisle two because they'll suck the life out of you, you know? Yes. Yes. And, and, and this art of encouragement is a big, big deal. When you think about the people you're around who, they, like I said, they just, they just make you feel better about who you are. And then there's others who when you're around them, they say oh, how tired they are and how hot it is outside and the traffic is bad and their back is sore. You don't want to be around them. Yeah, yeah. You get the medical maladies every time they open their mouth and what's wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's good. Do you think encouragement can be learned? Is it like natural? It's an absolutely. Uh, an encouragement is a skill. Yep. Absolutely. It's a skill. And so it can be learned. It can be practiced. That's um, good. That's yeah. encouraging. encouragement is one of my favorite it's a love language for me man i just think most people never walk around over encouraged they're like you know nobody's hit their lifetime quota of encouragement so we can always encourage someone and as long as it's sincere you're good to go yeah that's that's, a good point yeah that's the if 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 you're it's hard to mess it up and you can't do it too much if you're just sincere, you're gonna your leadership influence is gonna begin to rise. Right. There has to be an integrity. There has to be an authenticity behind the compliment, or people will know you're just spinning sunshine. Right. Right. Correct. Correct. Okay. Good. This is so good. Hey, we'll put these in the show notes too, so uh, okay. you will see the five five notes. So re, you know, listeners can 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 see this stuff in the show notes. Let's go to. Is it number four? We're on yeah. to. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say that attitude can make you or break you. Hmm. Um, I, I'm kind of a, a thinker type, you know, yeah. and, and John is, he's just, he's got such a phenomenal attitude. He's just always up. He's just, he's just a positive guy, real wow. deal all the time. Wow. And, 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 uh, um, and he just taught that, modeled it, imparted it. 
Um, taught it actually a lot, but but the big idea of attitude, your attitude, you can, you can be a B player, a B talent, a C talent, you can be uh, 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 an average pastor, just a barely above average leader, CEO, whatever, mm-hmm. but attitude will absolutely take you to the top. And and here's the good news, like like encouragement, it's a choice. Yeah. You know, you and I can choose joy, Carrie. We can. Mm-hmm. You can choose joy. And and that's a freeing thought. Yep. It really is, you know. And I'm pretty positive publicly, but privately sometimes. Like at home, on my own time, I have to yeah. remind myself to choose joy because yeah. I can focus. And I wonder, do you think leaders, like driven leaders, sometimes struggle with that? Because most of the leaders I know who are relatively high capacity... Dan, I don't know whether you've seen this or not, but they spot the issues quickly. In other words, they'll walk into a room and go, hey, that light's burnt out. Or, wow, this carpet is a bit worn out. Or, hmm, is that singer off key a little bit? Like, they, they, it's easy for them to go to the fault rather than the opportunity. Do you find that with a lot of leaders? Yeah, that's a very common thing uh, uh, to see what needs to be fixed. Yes. I think an, another common thing that I've experienced myself, and I think a lot of leaders do, is when you work hard and you carry a heavy load, your perspective gets skewed and you begin to think that you're carrying the whole thing yourself. Yes. And, and I've, I have to confess, I've felt that over the years. I think, is anybody else doing anything? And so, <laughs> you know, it's such a stupid thought. I mean, it's such but a, you read a lot of people's mail. You're right. Yeah, you know, and, and it's just, and, 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 but here's what I've learned over the years. When I, when I start thinking dumb like that, I realize I'm either exhausted or my perspective is off or I need to take a few hours off or I might get my day off because when I, and here's, here's how I've remedied it. What's that? I'll just, I'll write down the list on a piece of paper of all the things I think I'm really doing. And the list is never as long as it was in my mind. <laughs> and it's always more doable than what I thought it was. But I, you know, you can just get your head jacked up about you think you're carrying it all by yourself and you're not. That's a great hack. That's a, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to write down all these things that I'm burdened about. <laughs> That's so good. Okay, uh, take us to number five. Number five. Well, you, since you gave me permission, I'll tell a story with this one. Absolutely. Uh, number five, people, you know this one, Carrie. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Yep. And uh, I may, I don't know. Uh, Carrie, I don't know, but I might have been one of the first ones he ever said that to. That was 1982. Really? And um, it was one of those marking mentoring moments. It was the end of my internship, when I broke the internship, Mm -hmm. and and then he asked me to stay on staff, and he put me over Christian education. Remember that phrase? Yeah. All the spiritual formation and all that stuff. But back in the day, it was Christian education. (laughs) And he put me over that, and about two weeks in, uh, he got a he got a report from from some of the staff and leaders, and it was not a very good report. Okay, and basically they basically they said we don't like him. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and he called me and he says, "Dano, come in, come in, come in." And and uh, he said he said, "It's Dano. It seems to me because he'd been watching me as an intern and watching me for a few weeks in my my new real job." He said, Dano, and I always knew when after that when he said, it seems to me, I thought, uh-oh, here, here we go. Here we this go. Isn't, here we go. He said, Dano, it seems to me, uh, I'll never forget this because it changed my life. I mean, it seems to me that you act more like you own the church than you work for it. And I thought, 
this is so funny. I thought this is so bizarre, but I remember I don't think we're going out for ice cream today. I, I, I thought, well, you know, well, I, I really thought we're not going to Yum Yum's over there and get some donut. I really did. I thought we're not going to go get a donut today. And and they said he said Dano, here's what I know. He calls me Dano. He said Dano, here's what I know. You have a deep love and passion for people. You love people. But I said you you you're lousy at communicating your love for people. You're just no good at it. You just run around. You're just doing things, trying to change the kingdom and and change the world. And you're just running right by people. And you don't even you're running right by your ministry. You don't even know what you're doing. And and. Uh, and, and, and that's when the first time he said, then people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And I just sat there and never heard anything like that before. And I tell you, had he not taken that moment, and you know what the powerful thing is? Is um, that whole thing, you know, some people make, make mentorship too big. Yeah. That whole exchange took about seven minutes. Wow. See, I think mentoring is about not this big program, it's about the right word for the right person in the right moment. And he paid attention. And so, uh, and today he's very gracious and kind. And if he was on our podcast with you and he says it in conferences, he'll say, Dano is one of the most relational leaders I've ever known. Mm-hmm. It just had to be on court. Yep. It had. To, and so uh, I'm very grateful for that and for that principle and those life changing moments. And, that would be my number five, but it probably so should be good. number one. <laughs> well, but you know what? Yeah, and I thank you for sharing that story because you encouraged a lot of leaders. It reminded me when I was in radio in Toronto because I was maybe 21 or 22 years old at the time. And I mean, I was a big deal to get onto a Toronto radio station at 21 or 22, but a friend got me in. And I guess, I don't even remember what it was, but I was like, you know, junior, junior on the totem pole at this radio station, which is now the Fan 590, if there's any Toronto listeners. And I was on air and like, I don't know, I must have had a really bad attitude. And the person who got me in pulled me aside one day. And it wasn't a John Maxwell moment, but she said to me, Carrie, you're running around criticizing everything. And like, you're going to last about a month here. That's yeah. it. And I, it was like a self-awareness moment, like a slap on the face. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'm going to shut up. Within, within six months, I had a promotion. You know, they paid me more money, the whole deal. And I thought, thank goodness for that intervention. And sometimes those are the best moments, aren't they? They can be life-changing. They are. And I, I remember in that conversation when we were talking it through in those brief minutes, one other thing you said was, you know, he said, Dan, if, if you don't capture this, he said, you can do it. But if you don't capture this, you're probably not going to make it in ministry. Wow. And that's and the second thing he said in that moment uh, that was kind of a subsidiary or whatever you want to call it, he said, uh, you may have heard him say this over the years, too. He said, walk slowly through the crowds. He said, Dan, just slow down. You're just you're just as go, go, go type A kind of He said, slow down. And and. Uh, when you hook those two together, people don't, don't care how much you know, you know, blah, 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 and slow down. Um, uh, of course, Kevin Myers here has a brilliant uh, teaching he does about, you know, the difference between the speed of life and the speed of love. You know, mm-hmm. we, we minister at the speed of life, that's good. but we do relationships at the speed of love. Wow. And, and that's a phenomenal teaching and a phenomenal. It really is. And, and where and where they intersect, see, we tend to sometimes judge each other, because like you're somebody's going and going and going, and you're slower, he's faster, whatever. But it's really it's where it's where the, the X, it's where you can, mm. the, it's the 
is you can go as fast as you can go in the speed of life as long as you don't violate the speed of love. And some people can't go quite as fast on the speed of life as others, uh, maybe about gifting, maybe about discipline, maybe about, I don't know, how, how long they sleep a night. But the key is don't violate speed of love so that you tend to your family and tend to your soul and tend to your kids. And yeah. Wow, that's good. And that's Kevin Myers, the lead pastor of 12 Stone Church. So yeah. has he written on that? that? I've never heard that. That's really good. Uh, no, he's he's uh, he's taught leadership talks on it and done wow. sermons, but uh, maybe we'll find it in a book one day. Well, maybe we should find that in a book one day because you know I'm that, and I've I've heard that advice: walk slowly through the crowd. I still need to struggle. I still struggle with that. I like I'm always my kids called me Turbo. You know I'm I every time we went walking as a family in the mall or something like that, I would just like leave everybody in the dust and. <laughs> like uh, God's still working on me. Well, I think you've kind of answered this in part, but just in case there's any other elements, like what what else did John do to develop you as a leader? Like when you look at hey, a lifetime with John Maxwell, there's a lot of people who would say, you know, John is just so well known as as a leader. What specifically did it do for you, Dan, to bring it out? And I think you've touched on a lot of it already. That's a lot of it, but I would say in, uh, um, in addition to, to teaching a gazillion leadership lessons, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he, exposed, he exposed me to great leaders. I, I remember he always took us with him. He took me with him personally. I, uh, I got in the door of leaders like Bill Hybels and, and, and Dick. I mean, just, just these amazing guys that I would have never been around one-to-one just because John would take me with him. Yeah. And, and, and back in the day, he, he, he was famous for this. He would clip articles out of magazines and write my name on it and put it on my desk and say, Daniel, you need to read this. And, but he, but, and I mentioned, you know, he paid attention. He watched, he watched for the right moments. But if I, if I answered the question saying, you know, what else, I think it would have to be he just modeled it. Mm. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a good student, so I paid attention too. Yeah. And, and That's a good he point. He modeled generosity. He modeled uh, being a great husband. I mean, he loved to spoil Margaret. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and he just always spoiled her in, in a great, positive, wonderful way. And he modeled thinking big. He modeled faith. He's a man of great faith. He modeled uh, an incredible attitude. He just modeled it. And so when you see that behind the curtain, not just in front of the curtain, but as that's who he really is. Mm. Um, you, it rubs off on you. It just yeah. rubs off. Yeah. yeah. You caught it. You caught it. So you've, yeah. got, you've got a very, very strong leader, obviously one of the strongest of his generation or, or of, of this lifetime. How did you lead up? Like when you, when you had to influence John, when you had to convince him, or you know, I'm sure there were times where you had to confront him. Uh, that's a question I get a lot, and I know a lot of leaders get it. Like how do you lead up? So how did you lead John Maxwell? Well, I, I think first we have to talk about earning it. You don't. Mm. A lot of young leaders want to lead up, but they don't want to earn it. And so, <laughs> uh, um, for, first, he knew I wanted to serve him and the mission, and so yeah. that had to be settled. And you really care. You really can't settle that in a minute and a half. I mean, that that takes some time. And then uh, for John, and I think for a lot of leaders, maybe like me or maybe you, I don't know. You earn influence by producing results. And so John loves unconditionally. He loves me unconditionally. It's like family. But, but that doesn't mean you have influence to lead up. 
So when you say, how did I do that? I think you got to earn it. So I did my job. Yeah, You gain influence. I hope people didn't miss that. Did you hear what Dan said? You gain influence by earning results. You are far more likely as a leader to listen to a high performer than a slacker. True? True. And so I think it starts there. And from there, if if I could offer that foundation I just did, then to answer your question more specifically, um, and John's a little unique. I mean, John's personality, his persona, he's bigger than life. Mm -hmm. But um, some people, because of that personality, might be inclined to flattery or just praising him or saying everything positive. And I think the thing he trusted about me and respected about me is I always told him the truth. And, and so we had a relationship based on trust and truth. And so I, I let up an influence. So he, he knew he could count on me. He didn't have to worry about who I was or my character, that I was working hard to do my job. And so the trust was there that allowed him to hear the truth. Hmm. When the trust isn't there and respect isn't there, honestly, leaders don't want to hear. They don't even want to hear what you've got to say. Because they don't value it. Right? They don't value John, it. John probably, and I don't want to put, I've never, well, I've shaken his hand once, but um, I've read a lot of what he says. My guess is a guy like John wouldn't suffer fools lightly, right? Like if you don't right. bring a lot to the table, he's not going to spend a lot of time with you. Correct. You, you know, he, 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 I love his, one of his newer sayings. He said, you know, what does he say? How does it go? Uh, um, I, I bring, bring, Bring something to the menu. No, bring something to the table, or you're you're on the menu. Something like you know, kind of, <laughs> That's you know. Good. That'll yeah. play. Yeah, yeah, and That'll and play. and uh, and obviously, when I say about you know words of praise, certainly John is too smart to succumb to that. But yeah. we're all human. We all like to hear what we like to hear. But I, I think leading up is that's how I would I would I would sort of put those thoughts together. You know what? That's really good because I've talked. I'm going to get advice at that more, more tactical, but I think that is the foundation for leading up. If the leader doesn't respect you and you don't have the character and integrity, long-term that leader is not going to listen to you, plain right. and simple. Oh, that's so good. So now that's morphed into a decade and a half at 12 Stone with Kevin Myers. Uh, probably one of the best kept secrets in Atlanta is like 12 Stone. It is a gigantic church with how many locations? We're at nine locations. Nine. And how many people yeah. come out on a weekend? Uh, maybe we're in, it, it, obviously not summer. We have to all, all pastors yeah. give that caveat, don't yeah, we? That's yeah, that's right. Not in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> don't not visit summer. my church in the summer. <laughs> mm-hmm. But other than summer, we're maybe in that uh, seventeen thousand range, kind of that's in that amazing. that zone. Yeah, that's amazing. How is Kevin leading you, and how are you leading him at this stage? Well, the relationship's different. Um, mm-hmm. It's wonderful, but it's because Kevin's brilliant. Oh my gosh, he's an incredible communicator and visionary. But it, it's different and. I think all good XPs and senior pastors or, or second in charge, whatever, you have to know you have to have a solid picture of the relationship because if you don't if you don't have a picture of the relationship, um, you don't know how to function. And and secondly, the people want to have a picture because the hu- human nature is compelled to connect dots. Hmm. And if you don't connect the dots, they're going to connect them wrong. Yes. And so. For John and I, the picture was always and will always be a picture of Paul and Timothy. Hmm. He, he will always be the Paul. He will always be the mentor. I will always be the Timothy. But Kevin and I is very different. Our, our picture, our relationship, our partnership is more like Lewis and Clark. Really? And is Kevin younger than you? Are you guys the same age? He's, he's younger than me by six years. Six years? Wow. John is older than me by eight years. Okay. 
Yeah. Yep. So that's sometimes that's just a different dynamic, right? That's a different dynamic. Although yep. I don't think age always plays, but I think in this case, that's that is the the reality. So Lewis and Clark, you guys are what exploring together? Yeah, we're kind of off the map together. We're we're hmm. already we we bring in our own unique skills and abilities, and I recognize his incredible gifts. He is very kind to recognize what I bring to the table. And we often joke because we're so far off the map. I mean, uh, people people love to be on staff at Twelve Stone for two reasons. They all say the same thing. They all say, "We love the No Plan B, the wild-eyed No Plan B vision." Hmm. Uh, and we, we, Kevin and I, joke about it because we say, "Either this, we're we're so far off that we're so far gone here, so far committed and in." That that if if this doesn't work, we're selling cars next week because there's. <laughs> There is no plan B. I mean, we're, we're off the map like Lewis and Clark. Um, the second thing is leadership development. That's probably the passion I bring to the table is how to, how to really put that into a culture. So that's the Lewis and Clark thing. So it's, it's morphed that way. But you asked another question, you know, how is he leading you and how am I leading him? I think, I think Kevin leads me, um, on a, on a professional level, uh, through vision and creative insight and inspiration. Mm-hmm. And I think I lead him maybe through strategy, uh, kind of day-to-day wisdom, uh, just day-to-day wisdom, the whole people thing. Um, and, and, and we have a partnership. Like we know, we know how to throw the ball back and forth to each other. And, um, it's just, we're really, we're really, you know, God brought us together in a very unique way, and clearly it was designed, it was ordained, and it just works really well. That's so good. Yeah, and again, complementary gifts, right? Complementary yeah. roles, yeah. which is good. So uh, there's a lot of leaders, whether it's an executive pastor, but, you know, if, if somebody even it's like, okay, I'm the senior pastor, lead pastor, and I have one other staff member. You, m- Most people, if, as they get to two staff, kind of have a, a, a second in charge or an executive pastor, what are some of the secrets to creating a great team between a senior leader and a, a, a second in charge? Gary, I think, I think it has to uh, start with complete trust. That, that's a, an absolute, and I know we might say, well, duh, but, but really I have to say that because uh, there's, there's too many relationships where trust is feigned, but it's not really there. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I would lead with that second respect a mutual respect of each other's differences and personalities. I mean, Kevin and I are very different people, but philosophically we're incredibly aligned. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's a Harley riding need for speed dude, and I'm about collecting fine guitars. I mean, we couldn't be more different. It's quite a collection. It's on his blog. You should check it out. <laughs> and and but there's a respect that's just awesome. I mean, I, we love working together. But here's the one I would throw in if I if I offered one more that maybe is a little more unique and missed more often, and that's clear expectations. Hmm. I think the thing that breaks relationships quicker than anything, whether it's a marriage or a partnership like this or whatever, is when you don't have expectations clear. That leads to the breakdown of relationships every time, the disappointments and frustrations. And so the clearer you can be up with expectations of each other, the better it's going to be. You know, I, I just talk, listening to you for the last 40 minutes talk about this, Dan, 
it occurred to me, you know, I, I'm sure you've got years ahead of you where you can contribute, but you've spent the better part of three and a half, almost four decades as the second in charge, as the executive pastor, always in that role. And, you know, been, I would think, incredibly fulfilled. A lot of people look at the second in command as a stepping stone, right? And for some, that's what it will be. How have you stayed this fulfilled, this delighted, this energized, this excited over all the years that you've been in that role? Because it's very clear. You just exude it. You're not like, oh, yeah, I'll be retired soon. Or, you know, man, you are learning and you're on the edge and you're excited. Like, how do you keep that up? Yeah, I'm fired. I'm fired up. I, I think. I, I think we we mentioned part of it. It's a stewardship thing, mm-hmm. but I th- I think it's, it was a journey for me, uh, and and every once in a while a, a rejourneying and a relearning of of um, the stewardship notion. But, but it always begins with being self aware, mm-hmm. and then it and then it moved toward m- maturing into lowering my insecurities mm-hmm. and, and rising in security that. I just began to like who I am, the way God made me. And when I gave myself permission to be me, um, I watched God just do cool things. I remember coming out of seminary, and, and, and uh, I, I noticed that all the pastors and all the big churches who spoke in all the big platforms, they were the choleric sanguines, you know, the temperaments. Yeah. And so I thought, well, then I'm going to be a choleric sanguine, <laughs> you know? And so I set out for about a year to be a choleric sanguine. Well, the problem with that is, I'm a choleric melancholy. Okay. And so, you know, and so as, it, so as I began to give myself permission to be me and I thought, this is fun. I like me. I mean, this is awesome. Then I really began to settle in and watch God take the gifts he gave me. And I watched them kind of go crazy and kind of do cool things where, so it, it just became fun and natural and easy rather than me trying to push something that was never designed to be. Yep, you were created for it, but you also learned to enjoy it and find contentment. That's it. That's so good. All right, we've talked a lot about leadership. Occasionally, you'll run into this when you write and you speak and you consult with people, and I run into it on my blog and talking to leaders. Um, But there are critics who say, you know, man, people like you and me, we just, or John, overemphasize the importance of leadership. How do you respond to that? Do you think leadership is overblown or it's just like this buzzword or what do you think? Well, yeah, Carrie, I think it can be overblown. I, I okay. think, I think it, I agree that leadership for the sake of leadership is, or, or just for the next book or the next deal. Yeah. yeah that's worthless in terms of eternal kingdom impact. But, um, aside from that potential, I, I think when we, t- when I talk to leaders who criticize that and, I've had people come up to me after conferences. They they pay to come in here, and then they come and tell me why I'm wrong. I think, why'd you come? But anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, you you know who I am. But but they, but I say, you know what? Let's just talk. About it. Let's get a cup of coffee and we'll talk about it. And so I usually start with the Bible, hmm. and I say, man, you know, from Moses to Joshua to Joseph to David and Gideon and all the way to Paul and Mark and Barnum. I mean, the Bible is loaded with leadership, and that seems to put air and let, let them relax a little bit, and then. I just talk a little bit about any any kingdom worthy vision can't be done alone. Mm. And so leadership is required to raise up other leaders and we begin to talk about next gen and all that stuff and you just leadership is what's going to allow your church to be to fulfill the potential God has for your church. 
Yeah, that's true. You're right. The only person who doesn't need leadership is like the solo person, truly organizational one. And even then you need self-leadership. So it's inevitable. Yeah. Good answer. Good answer. Um, what would you say to critics? Because you've always served or been associated with large churches, but uh, I saw this on your blog, which really tweaked this question. <laughs> I love your answer. Um, to the critics who think mega churches are shallow, they're superficial, you know, they're overrated, they're on the decline, how do, how do you answer that? Well, again, I'll say like I did with leadership, Carrie, that, that uh, I think, I think mega churches can be superficial and shallow. Uh-huh. But honestly, I think most of them aren't um, because it takes a lot of discipline and depth to keep reaching and organizing and leadership and passion and focus to to build an organization that far. But to be really honest, I think to stop reaching people is shallow. And and, uh, (laughs) reaching people is shallow. That's so good. Yeah. I I mean, it's just so everything's attention and a trade and I get it. But but. When we talk about the Great Commission in Matthew 28, the, it's empirically, it's logically, it's clearly discipleship always starts with evangelism mm-hmm. because to disciple the same people over and over again, well, that, that's not what Jesus taught us said to do. I mean, and, and, and uh, so when I get to come alongside churches and talk about um, you know, how we lead, it, it's I think that the men and women who do the same things with the same people over and over again, that's, that's not what Jesus died on the cross for. I mean, that's, that's not the point. And some you of know? us grew up in churches like that, where we just re-discipled the same people over and over and over again. Over I've and over again. never heard anyone yeah. say that. That's very true. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, that's just, I mean, we can go to Starbucks and hang out, and that's cool, but, that's, but I can do that with my buddies. We don't have, that's not missional. Yeah. You don't need to be the church to do that. Correct, correct. Mm-hmm. It's fun. I like to do it, but the, the church wasn't designed. That wasn't the emphasis. Yeah. So true. All right. Well, um, let's shift gears a little bit. You talk to a lot of church leaders, both on your blog and in your speaking, and you guys mentor a lot of people at 12 Stone. I can't believe the number of people. It's like, yeah, I was just at 12 Stone. Wow. It's amazing. What are some of the issues you see church leaders struggling with again and again? Wow. Uh, you know, uh, one of the ones that's probably at the top of the list is making the tough call. Mm. Uh, uh, most, almost the vast majority of church leaders that I've worked with for decades, they're really smart guys. They're yeah. really smart women. Church leaders are just smart people. Um, but So they know what to do, but they don't always have the gumption or the courage or the whatever to do it. Yeah. And, and so I, here's what I believe, and we've watched God do some really cool things by trying to communicate this and encourage this, is most churches are one tough, one tough call away from a breakthrough. They're one tough decision away from a breakthrough. Yep. And whether it's letting a staff go or hiring a staff member or stopping a ministry or start, whatever, they're one tough call away one big move away. And most of the time they know what it is. Yeah. And so we get to give them permission to go home and do it. And that's exciting. Hmm. Wow. That is, <laughs> that's, you're so right. I mean, they know, and there are leaders who are going, yeah, you're right. But it's really courage. It's the courage to do what you know you have to do. And so others, you know, maybe quick here, I think the merger of, of spiritual and strategic, I think saying no, um, I, I think 
I think one that's probably most dominant, even though it might sound like super current, it's really been around for 10 years at least, is keeping up with culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I started in the, in the 80s and, and 90s, um, things didn't move nearly as fast as they move now. Wow. Culture shifts. We, you know, we used to talk about culture shift, and we talked about it. You remember the the top ten shifts predicted for the decade? You know, yes. But now it's the top ten shifts predicted for the next minute and a half. I mean, it, it's, it's hardly it's, an exaggeration. You, you 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 just can't begin to fixate on things because it's so fluid and culture shifting literally daily. And if you don't keep your your grassroots about who's offended about what and how you how you merge that with scripture and okay, I'm a, I'm a hater today because what did I do? What what how, how what did I do wrong? You know, and you can't you can't even keep up. So you've got to stay current and fresh. I tell you how I do it. I've got two twenty yeah. something kids, and we're all about the next generation. If we have twenty nine uh, residents in study here. And so I hang out with 20-somethings like crazy and empower them and love on them, and I learn from them. That's how I stay young, I think. Absolutely. (laughs) I I stay around 20-something. Yep. Yep. And you need them around your table, and you need them with actual decision-making power as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's really good. If you could tell every church leader one thing based on all of your experience, what would it be, Dan? Pray more. Uh, it really would be. And for, for those listeners, if you're thinking, yeah, 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 please let me say it again. Pray more. Uh, that's the power. That's the source. That's life change. That's, uh, I, I mean, I've always prayed, Carrie. I've always prayed. But, but you just can't, you can't pray too much. You can't talk to God too much. You can't want to hear God's voice more. The older I get, the more I'm deeply convinced that's everything it's everything Hmm. Hmm. that's a good word that's a challenging word and i think there is a crisis of prayer in a lot of churches not just evangelical churches not just mainline church i think the church there's a crisis of prayer in the west but thank you for that thank you all right uh shifting gears again because i got you i'm gonna ask questions all right, Dan. What does a typical day look like you um, look like for you, rather, in in terms of routine? You told me something before we got started. You do something every single day. Yeah. Well, I can answer that question because my days don't have a very good routine. Uh-huh. Uh, for for being supposedly the strategic sort of XP, I'm pretty fluid. You know, uh, individual. You have to be to work with John Maxwell for twenty years. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Got to be fluid. But my but. But my typical day is two things. My, my, my life rhythm is based on two things, mm-hmm. prayer and exercise. Okay. And, and those two things you can set everything on for my, my personal life rhythm is prayer and exercise. I uh, actually run a 5K daily, seven days a week. That's incredible. And, uh, seven uh, days a week. Seven days a week, uh, rain or shine. Now, let me confess, living in Georgia now, uh, sometimes I have to do my 5K three or four miles. Sometimes I go extra indoors on the treadmill right. uh, or, or on the elliptical because the weather is not conducive, but I don't miss. And so uh, for, for me, life goes well, family goes well, relationships go well, leadership goes well for my life rhythm 
with prayer and exercise. And when I, if I miss or if I'm sick or if I'm traveled, something kind of upsets the, the rhythm, I quickly start to move to a place that I shouldn't be. Hmm. So for me, uh, that's the routine that you would, you, would, you would actually see if you were hanging around me. That's the foundation for everything. Yeah. And if you think about it, a 5K, I mean, that doesn't take, you're done in an hour. Easy. Oh, way less than an hour. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I mean, usually if I run, it's three or four k, but that's like half an hour. That's it. Yeah, pretty yeah. quick. And I'm I, I, at this age. I used to run them, Carrie. Now, uh-huh. now, then I then I was jogging them, and now I'm jogging slowly. Right, <laughs> but it's still. Hey, man, you're I, doing it. I put my shoes on every day. That's what I tell all the all my young CrossFit uh, studly staff, <laughs> you know, who are flipping tires out there. That's good, man. But when you're 61, I'll come back and tell me what you're doing. You know, or so a 61-year-old just schooled everybody by running a 5K a day. That's so Come impressive, on. Dan. Come, Come on. on. All right, all right. You've motivated me and made me feel a lot better by cycling 23K at lunch. I kind of gave up a little section of my day to cycle, but I, I think that's amazing. That's really good. Uh, how have you learned to prioritize the competing demands that come your way? Because, I mean, you write, you have family, you have grown kids, but you hang out with them. You get probably get a lot of requests and email. And then, you know, you got 17,000 people on nine campuses. You know, I, I, I don't know that I do a great job here, Carrie. I, I think this may be a life tension for me, so I have to confess that off the top. But I do work at it. I think I'm better at it. One, one of the things that, that I do is, um, is I work really hard to develop leaders around me and then hand things to them. Uh, lots and lots of consulting invitations I get, speaking invitations I get. Just I'm wonderfully blessed with opportunities. And I found that, that uh, while when I first tell people I can't do it, they flinch a little bit. And I said, but I've got a guy here who's killer. He's amazing. And then once, once like Miles Welch goes or Mark Eichen goes or one of these guys goes, but they don't, Dan who? I mean, they don't, they, <laughs> they, they don't even ask me again because these other guys are so fantastic and that, that blesses me and the other guys rise up and take off and do it. So that's one way I, I do it. And, um, the second way is, is I just think I go back to my those rhythms I, I talked about and and I always I always pay attention to home play home home base first hmm. like in other words twelve stone responsibility comes first yes so I make sure that's flourishing then second it, are my my personal rhythms working you know my prayer and and um, uh, uh, running and then third am I am I handing lots away am I giving a lot away and then fourth. If I've got the energy, I just say yes. <laughs> That's great. That's great. But you, you've built with the foundations, which is, yeah. which is great. All right. Yeah. What's the one question you always wish somebody would ask you that nobody has asked you? How come I'm so devilishly handsome and good looking? I mean, I don't... I don't... <laughs> Best answer to that one yet. That's great. I, I don't. I don't know why no one's ever asked me that. I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever asked me that either, Dan. I don't know why. <laughs> you look at my wife, who's drop dead gorgeous and looks like she's twenty seven. But and they, what they do say is, "How did you get her?" That's what yeah, they. Do. Yeah, they ask that question. Yeah, they do ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer to that, Dan. I know people are going to want to find you online. Can you let us know what an easy way to connect with you is? 
Well, I think uh, you mentioned one. Is yeah. if, you, if you go to my blog, they'll find me there. It's danryland.com. danryland.com. And uh, on, on Twitter, I'm easy to find there. That's great. Dan, I feel like my head's exploding, man. An hour with you on leadership has just been fantastic. So thankful for this. Thank you so much for all that you do, but also for not keeping it to yourself, for writing, for speaking. You've got books too. Tell us about your books. You haven't, you haven't mentioned those. Well, um, I'm a little behind on the publisher's request for a couple of books, but uh, actually a lot behind. But the more, the more recent one was, is Amplified Leadership. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I've, I've enjoyed that book because <clears throat> though I love a good leadership list, uh, I really do. This is more of a process or a sequence mm. of of developing leaders, literally starting with the skill of connecting, moving to the skill of empowering. Gotcha. And so uh, that that book is is the one I'm uh, using most right now. And if I can find a couple more minutes in the day, I'll get the next one out. <laughs> That's awesome, Dan. I just want to say thank you so much. We so appreciate you being on the podcast. Carrie, and I want to say the same thing back. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a blast to get to know you more today. Thanks for what you do to help leaders all over the world. Well, I really appreciate that, Dan. Thanks again. Well, Dan, man, thank you so much. I so look forward to hanging out with Dan in the future. He's just one of those guys that so understated, so humble, so wise, so laser sharp. You got to go check out his blog, danryland.com. Again, everything's in the show notes, uh, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 105. Hey, next week we are back. We got a, a real treat for you, actually. We got, we got a whole lot of great stuff coming up on the podcast. And again, one of the best ways to make sure you don't miss it is to subscribe. But Kara Powell is going to be my guest. She's a repeat guest on the podcast, as she should be. She is brilliant. She's at Fuller Theological Seminary, and she and her team have released, I think, a study, well, it's actually a book called Growing Young, all about growing your church young, um, that you will find so encouraging because so often, you know, even on podcasts like this, you know, we, we interview small church pastors, large church pastors, but you're like, my church is not positioned to grow. Man, the research she has done will melt your brain on what churches are actually being effective with millennials. And it's not theory, it's research. So that's next Tuesday. Uh, with Kara Powell on episode 106. We got Tony Morgan coming up. Chuck Swindoll, I am so humbled, is going to be one of my guests. Todd Wilson from Exponential. Les McEwen, who wrote Predictable Success. Another, like, spin-your-head-around kind of interview. Just unreal. So the best way to make sure you catch all of it is to subscribe. You can do it for free. And good news for all of you who listen to the end. We're on Google Play now. That's right. Uh, Our producer, Toby, managed to figure out how to do that, which is awesome. So many of you are asking, hey, when are you guys on Google Play? Well, we are now. So you can subscribe there. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Uh, We're there. It's free. We're here every Tuesday and occasionally a bonus episode. (laughs) So, uh, hey, next week, Kara Powell. Also, for those of you in the Los Angeles area, I'm going to be on the Orange Tour next week, Tuesday and Wednesday. Go to orangetour.org. I would love to hang out with you on the Orange Tour in Irvine, California. We're going to be at Mariner's Church and... You can get all the details at orangetour.org. In fact, I'm even hosting a lunch for senior leaders, so make sure you sign up for that. So uh, we'll talk to you real soon, whether that's in person or right back here on the podcast next Tuesday. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. 
You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.